Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the latest edition to Examiner Sports Weekly GA Podcasts. I'm Tony Lean, we've given Colm O'Connor a week of sun and sangria, and on this week's paper talk, Oshin McConville delves into the down swagger. He keeps a lid on talk of an Armagh revival, and Oshin wonders what the hell is going on with Cork football. Speaking of what the hell is going on, was Jim Gavin pulling up the Dublin drawbridge as they target three in a row when he declined to do individual broadcast interviews after the demolition of Westmeath on Sunday. Brendan O'Brien tells us about standing room only in the Crow Park Media Auditorium, which I can guarantee you sounds a lot grander than it actually is. And to round us off, Colm Cooper confirms the story, long considered apocryphal, that he snoozed in his labba until 10 to 2 on the day of an All-Ireland final. Paul Galvin eventually decided it best to wake him for the old September kick-around. Every game's a battle. You see boys grow to men. Something changes in you when you're up in that field. It just does. Because you can talk tactics till you're blue in the face. But if you're not 100% tuned in, you're as good as dead. Anthony Daly and Colm Cooper write from hard-won experience of the GAA front line. And throughout the championship, they'll be writing exclusively for the Irish Examiner. For analysis on this weekend's key battles, be sure to read the Irish Examiner. Oisín McConville, every championship season needs a turn-up for the books. You know, it needs something that gets the juices flowing. And I guess Saturday night in the Athletic Grounds did that to some degree because, you know, you yourself have admitted, and I'm sure there's many others who should admit, nobody saw that one coming, down-beating Monaghan. You know, you've seen the down reaction after the game. I mean, that's not a that's not the reaction of down winning an Ulster semi final. That's not the norm. But just shows you where this where this team has come from. I think, you know, they've been written off a number on a number of occasions. Uh, I think, you know, it is getting a little bit tiresome when you hear players just speaking about uh, after the game about you know how they were written off. And I mean. They could only be written off this down team. You know, they, they didn't show a thing for 18 months. I mean, they couldn't win a competitive match. You know, they, they lost 14 competitive games in a row. Yeah. Um, so, you know, this change for them, this didn't just change over the weekend. It changed in February when they beat Mead in the league. And they weren't expected to beat Mead. Mead were actually, okay, Mead had lost the first game, but they were actually on a decent run at that stage. Um, and when you consider that, uh, you know, down came from no one won that game on a Saturday night. Things changed on that night because the backs were to the wall big time. And when the backs have been to the wall, they have reacted. There has been a reaction. And, you know, purely and simply by the body language the other night and how much, like, you'd expect them to be up for it. That's one thing. Yeah. But 
to be able to carry it through for the 75 or, or 80 minutes and you know it was typified by Conor Harrison at the, at, uh, at the edge of the square he's big he's physical but Drew Wiley you know Drew Wiley just doesn't get pushed around no. I mean yeah he's, he's taken a few trimmings from a few lively corner forwards but Physically, he's never bullied like that, and Conor Harrison bullied him effectively the other day, and he set the tone for a lot of what uh, went on with Downing. When Downing put the ball in that full forward line, when there was nothing else on, they put it in there. He, you know, he won it, or he got a hand on it, or he made a nuisance of himself, and you know, he kicked three wonderful points as well. He sort of set the tone, I felt, for you know, uh, what Downing were all about the other night. I've seen Down a couple of times over the last couple of seasons, Oshin, and I actually saw them in the National League this year in Cork. Now, they scrambled a draw in the end to stay up, but I thought to myself that they were just a mile off. So, realistically, what has happened in the camp? I mean, look, I suppose the question I'm asking is, can they back up what they did last Saturday night, or will they revert to type? The type being poor form over the last 24 months. <laughs> I, I felt that they, 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 that they couldn't back up what they did against Armagh. That was the first thing. So uh, they've already proved us wrong on, on that one. Mm. Um, are they going to beat Tyrone in also final? Realistically, you know, I can't see it. Uh, I just think Tyrone, you know, would have way too much for this down team. But, like, how can you write them off after what they did the morning at the weekend? Because normally when we're speaking about you know, uh, teams beating teams that maybe not expected. We're usually thinking about a Division 4 team or a Division 3 team maybe beating a Division 2 team. But, look, they're not actually beating somebody now. They beat a team uh, in Mullendale tonight who are undoubtedly in the top six. Uh, they've established themselves as a regular Division 1 team and, and a team that, you know, like to get to the latter stages of the league, comfortably stayed up over the last number of seasons, made the um, league semi-final last year. And, the thing about uh, about about Down is, and, and I, I think I, I've written an article surrounding it before, is that the Down swagger is a very real thing. Mm-hmm. We we hear about it, and people say, you know, what are, you know, what is what is that about? But it's real, and it appeared the other night because when they're confident, you know, they feel as if they can beat anybody, and like that's generational. That has been the case. Like I I you know, I went to uh, secondary school. Um, in Newry at the age of 11 and it was there then and you know 20 whatever years it is later you know it's still there it, it spread into them and you know when they get on a roll you know they, they do have a tendency to back these things up mm-hmm. I just can't see them beating throwing an also final but if you remember like they're in the last 12 now you know they're, they're going to uh, you know, realistically they've got a great opportunity to get, to get into the quarterfinals and yeah. for this down team that is serious progress in the matter of a couple of months and I mean a month ago we were told that you know they were disjointed that there was 10 people at training that Eamon Barnes was a fool that the players didn't want Eamon Barnes that Eamon Barnes had no faith in the players and here we are talking about them in the Munster final so you know they, they certainly have uh, completely turn the thing on its head. Whether they can back it up or not, I mean, back it, backing it up for me for down and and also final would be to be really competitive against the role. I could just for the life of me, I can't see them beating them. Right, and then not to take anything away from Eamon Burns or from Down, but were Monaghan fatally overconfident going into Saturday night because they looked like a side that twenty minutes into the game realised they were in a deep hole. And they basically, at that stage, as you know, it's too late. 
Yeah, I think that's it. And I think it's just really difficult when you get into that frame of mind to turn it around. And the strange thing is that I felt okay, you know, they do have an opportunity to turn it around at half time, but I think they were so far gone at that stage, as in, you know, the mentality and the frame of mind. I mean, it was just typified by the first 15 minutes whenever you look back in the game. And, you know, I didn't feel it would hurt them at the time, but, like, those players taking pot shots from everywhere, and that's just so unmodern. Like, I mean, Drew Wiley at the end of the game, I know, you know, that can be picked out as well, but Drew Wiley at the end of the game, Drew Wiley, if that was, you know, if that was the modern team that we used to, Drew Wiley would stand there with that ball for five minutes and wait for somebody to come off his shoulder. He'd wait for McManus or somebody to make himself available. He would never shoot in that situation. Yeah, there was a lack. That's the worrying thing that, you know, from Malik Rock's point of view is that, you know, it was a real mindset and, and like, obviously as a management team, you're trying to guard against it, but he obviously didn't see it coming. Now, looking ahead to the qualifiers, um, as everybody knows at this stage, Banty will travel, uh, or sorry, I say Monaghan will travel down to Wexford to meet uh, their old friend uh, in the next round. Are they in a position, you think, to pick it up? I mean, will Malik, can Malik O'Rourke turn that round now, go down to Wexford and beat Wexford? Possibility. I know you didn't make it back to the athletic grounds last night because you were with the leash hurlers, but is there a possibility that Armagh can look at what Down have done now and say, okay, you know what, we can actually get on that roll? Because they looked good in stages, I thought, on Sunday night against Fermanagh. Yeah, they looked good in stages. And, you know, just, again, I just guard against, you know, the one thing about Down, Down have beaten somebody, beaten somebody of real substance. Uh, you know, Armagh haven't done that yet. I mean, Fermanagh, you know, have had a, an absolutely horrible year. I mean, 
you know, people are going to let's call it the Anas Oribles, and you know, he's not he's not far wrong. I mean, you know, it was it was a bit of a shambles coming towards the end. So, uh, Amai got back in the road. They kicked a lot of wides. Um, I think the thing about Amai is that yeah, they're, they are dangerous enough outfits. Uh, realistically, they're in the side of the draw that you'd want to be in. Um, I mean. You know, any draw today apart from Monaghan was a good draw for Armagh. Um, I know that they have to travel, but still, uh, you know, I think I don't think it would have been much better. Playing a team that would beat them by 31 points, I mean, you know, you're going to want to be some sports psychologist to talk a team around from that. And the thing about uh, about Westmead is that, you know, yesterday was not just a beating or a draw, but it was a real humiliation. And, you know, that's a game that even as a um, as somebody trying to pick holes in it or somebody trying to assess it statistically, um, which Tom Cribben I'm sure usually does with games, I, I realistically think that's a game he can't show them players again. Right. I really do. Uh, or, or any part of it because they were so abject and they were so well beaten in every facet of the game that... It's a, it's a game he's got to be in and he's just got to move on. He's got to try and go back and and, and show them maybe something or you know around their Division Four final or you know their second day against Offaly and hope that you know there's some semblance of that team still hanging in there. Yeah. Kerry and Cork O'Sheen, I suppose, put themselves on show. I, I suppose to a national audience, if you follow me, in terms of it's it's yeah. televised and people get their first look at Kerry since the league final. But I suspect, I mean, to, to a student of the game like yourself, you're probably almost more intrigued with Cork next weekend. I mean, I think you have a fair idea of Kerry, but does anybody have an idea what Cork bring to the table in this Munster football final? Well, if it's anything like what they have shown so far, then that's not, that's not a lot. Uh, I think the thing about, uh, about Kerry is that, uh, do we really know what, Inverness is going to turn up. I mean, I was very surprised with the first team he picked um, this year, um, which is completely different to you know. Well, it was largely different to, to the league final. So, Kerry are a team who seem to be, you know, trying to tame the run. Um, dangerous, you know, a dangerous game if they got somebody you know who sneaked through that back door in the quarterfinals. Um, you know, so I will be looking at Kerry. We'll be looking to see, you know, how far they've come from the, even from the Clare game. So, yes, uh, Cork. You know, I think I, I think I could watch Cork uh, every weekend and still not know what to expect the following weekend. If that makes any sense, I could watch them four weeks in a row and not and not know what to expect on the fifth week. I'm still not sure what way they're playing. The only thing I can think is that he will have taken something from the Tipperary game in that, I mean, uh, Cork don't seem to be able to play that uh, that defensive role. I just don't think the transition's good enough. Um, one thing I think that Cork will do this weekend is I think they'll put a bit of, I think they'll, they'll pressurise, not just the kickouts, but I think they'll pressurise how uh, Kerry um, take the ball out of defence. I think there'll be a lot more pressure on the ball. I think... In around that middle third, they'll be expect to get that little bit of pressure on. Sometimes they're not, and sometimes the likes of O'Donoghue or Keeney or these boys are going to get that little bit of space and they're going to punish you. But I think Cork just, you know, have to have it in the mindset that that's going to happen there and again, and we have to accept that. But, but by and large, you know, we're going to press and put as much pressure as high up the field as we can for as long as we can. And mm. I suppose, 
you know, if that's the expectation, all, the only thing that takes, you know, because people talk, people have been talking about Cork in different terms, the only thing that takes is hard work, focus, you know, and, and a bit of planning. So, you know, if there's any focus, uh, hard work, and, and a little bit of planning which has gone in, you know, the week of the game, um, then they have a realistic opportunity of doing themselves some sort of justice at last. Yeah, and finally, when you said there you were a bit surprised with Kerry against Clare, you mean the fact that Fitzmaurice reverted to the old guard and kind of didn't play the young lads that he had in the league? Yeah, I think, you know, there was a couple, you know, Shannon in particular, I thought he'd done really well in the um, in the league final. But not just that, I just, I just I wasn't sure about the balance of the, of the actual team. I wasn't sure if, uh, if that's the midfield that, that he... That he preferred Maher and, and um, Moore. Moore and if that's the team that he preferred, you know, going forward in the Crow Park, uh, maybe it was because he has a few injuries, a few niggles, different things like that. Maybe he, you know, he's a few players, he's unsure of a few players. Maybe he's given certain players game times to do like. Maybe in his head he knows exactly what his best team is going forward. So if he does, then, you know, he doesn't need to be playing boys day in, day out. But, you know, he just. The last thing Kerry needs is to go into another quarter final undercooked, and uh, there's a real danger, you know, of that happening. So that's the only thing I'd say for me, Mr. Bars. I know it's nice to shuffle your pack and it's nice to give boys game time, and you're going to need, you know, 21 uh, lads on any given day if you're going to if you're going to seriously challenge to win all Ireland. But just all the strains that there was such a turnaround from the from the league final. Okay, thank you, Oisín McConville, and best of luck to Oisín. Um, as you know, he's involved with the Leash Hurlers. They've drawn Dublin in the next round of the qualifiers, probably to be played on Saturday night, the 1st of July. Speaking of Dublin, their footballers had a crushing 31-point victory over Westmeath in a complete non-event in Crow Park yesterday in the Leinster semi-final. They now advance, of course, to play Kildare in the Leinster final. But the main news line of the day, Brendan O'Brien, yesterday, was when the press gathered afterwards for the interviews. And I presume, Brendan, word quickly spread that Jim Gavin had declined to do broadcast interviews. Can you fill us in? Yeah, basically, um, you've been in this um, soulless media auditorium in in Crow Park underneath the Hogan stand yourself before, Tony. So you know what it's like. It's a very... A very downcast affair. There's there's literally zero atmosphere. Um, and the prospect of talking to Jim Gavin only only meant to aid to that as well. You don't really expect much unless Jim Gavin has something to say. But when he does have something to say, you pretty much know know about it uh, soon enough. And the first inkling we had that something was up was when a couple of RTE journalists, uh, the cameraman, and then layers of wire and everything started coming into the main auditorium. And you know yourself, there's an adjunct, uh, a room beside us where all the broadcast media is done. Yeah. So when you see the RT guys coming in, you know something is up. Uh, muttering starts, um, quickly becomes apparent that Jim Gavin has refused to do the usual one of one-to-ones with not just RT, but all the broadcast media. So you have um, the unusual scenario, and this is obviously a media thing that, that your average punter won't care about, but in media circles, it's, it's big stuff. Uh, the, the RT journalists sit in the front, um, the front pew, and uh, after a few cursory questions about the, the hammering of Westmead, the two RT journalists in question starts uh, questioning Jim Gavin on why he's refused to do the usual one-to-one. And it was all very kind of, to be honest, a little bit childish, a little bit 
tit for tat, back and forth, why didn't you do it, Jim? And it was made all the worse by the fact that Gavin refused to admit that his refusal to do the one-to-one interviews was down to the coverage of the Dear McConaughey incident when he pushed the line man against Cardinal back at the start of the month. Sure. Um, eventually, over the course of 10 minutes then, everything started to unspool. And, I mean, without wishing to play devil's advocate, but I'm going to play devil's advocate, I mean, Jim Gavin obviously is under no obligation to do, you know, unlike, you know, his compadres across the water, whether it be Premier League or anything, he's under no actual obligation. But he actually then did still speak to the RT journalist. Is what, so you think he was actually just making his point first before he actually went ahead and did what he said he wasn't going to do? I think so. I think that's bang on the money, nail on the head. Um, you know, why would you refuse to speak to somebody in one room and then have absolutely no problem to speak to them at the other? And, you know, we've, we've had all the theories this morning. There's a lot of head-scratching going on. Why is this being done? Why is it being done now? Because the Dermot Connolly suspension, I mean, it, it's not going to be appealed anymore. They've dropped any any pretense of an appeal. So but it gives them, but, but, but Brennan, it gives them the cause, doesn't it? The CAUSE yeah. for the summer. Yeah, exactly. And I, I see Vinnie Murphy, the former Dublin player, on Twitter this morning saying that, you know, <clears throat> this is the start of the siege mentality that will take the dubs to a three in a row. But you, you kind of wonder why, is this really necessary? Um, you know, even at this point in the summer, I mean, they're just after hockeying Westmead by 31 points. They've got Kildare and Leinster final, and I've seen Kildare twice, as you know, and I fully expect Kildare to be competitive against them, but I have no doubt in my mind that Dublin will go on and win. So now suddenly you're looking at a, an All-Ireland quarter-final, which is weeks away already, mm. and Jim Gavin apparently is already establishing a siege mentality in, in the camp at the moment. Um, I don't know, maybe he thinks this is something that they need after all this time on the, on the road. Maybe he's just trying to, you know, appeal to his players in, in some different way to to propel them towards that three in a row. It's just, it's, it's a bit of a head-scratcher. And um, to be quite honest, uh, I think it needs to be said as well that the points he was making yesterday, I put it in the copy today, I, I, I described them as scatter, scattergun and petty. And I really thought they were. I mean, he was after one point about, um, he, he talked about David Connolly's good name being attacked. And... Um, one, one print journalist pulled him up at one point and said, Jim, how is Dear McConley's good name being attacked by, by the pundits in question? And I have to say as well, Tony, I'm after watching back the analysis from RT that night of the Carlo game from Colin O'Rourke and Pat Spillane, and it is in no way over the top. Sure. There's no way, in my opinion, that anybody's good name is being attacked. Colin O'Rourke at one point actually says, he stresses the point, this is minor physical interference. So all this talk of an agenda as well is very rich. When you think, you just said it yourself, it's all seemed very planned to me by Jim Gavin. I'm not going to talk to him here. I'm going to talk to him there and I'm going to make my point. Is that not an agenda? But is it not part also, Brendan, of modern day management that you will take any 1% you can get wherever you get it? And you know what? If you're putting a few journalists' noses out of joint in doing so, then what about it? The general public don't care and the Dublin fans certainly don't care. No, but and I, I and you know, I mean, putting a few journalists' noses out of joint, I, I, I can guarantee a, a, an added bonus for them as well. I mean, they'll love it. Who wouldn't? But I just don't see the point of it at this point in the summer. Um, you know, maybe he does think it's an extra one percent, but to me personally, I just see it as a waste of energy. I see it as a needless hassle. I, I, I just don't get it myself. You know, from from a media communications point of view, you know, it has everybody up in arms dragging a story out that was dead and buried. And, and even when you look at it, 
lost in, in the midst of all this was Gavin's assertion that it was him confirming the fact that it was him who, um, who sought the appeal process to go ahead. And then as well, he said that they'd had senior counsel tell them that was an appeal to go ahead, that there was no way the case as it stands could, could continue. That could stand up. Out. So there's a lot going on here and, and maybe it'll become apparent throughout the summer, but I just find it very peculiar at the moment. Brendan O'Brien, thank you for that insight. Uh, now, Cullum Cooper on getting up out of the bed late on All-Ireland final day. Well, it is factually correct. But the thing about it, I, I was up earlier in the morning. So generally, what I, I, like, I love to nap coming up to big matches um, because I find that I need every ounce of energy I can get. Mm. Um, so well, How were you in bed at 10 to 2 when the game at half 3? I, I was up, so I had lunch at 12 o'clock probably because the final is 3 or half 3. Yeah. And obviously whenever you eat... You kind of become lazy and tired, so I, I knew we had, we, I knew we had an hour or two to kill before we had, we were heading for Croke Park. So, I said I'll throw myself into bed. I knew Paul was going for physio and stuff, so the room was nice and quiet. Um, closed the curtains, and I, I, I expected to sleep for about half an hour, um, but I got a lot more than that. I think it was around ten to two. Paul was giving me a bit of a shove to get me out. So yeah. Um, what year was that? Oh seven. Oh, seven, yeah. And it was a four o'clock final, yeah, yeah, and things went well for us that day as well. So, and for um, you, yeah, and it went well for me, but it kind of uh, some guys are like that, some guys are like that. I've, I've, you see other guys who who can't stomach food, you see guys who hyper, yeah, who were walking around corridors on their own Climbing because, walls, yeah, 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 and that's part that's part of sport, that's part that happens in every sport, and it's whatever zone you're comfortable in, and, and obviously I'm comfortable in my own bed, sleeping, so. Yeah. Was there ever a dressing room preparation that you saw from another player that kind of surprised you, or kind of, you kind of went, like, what, what's he doing? Yeah. You know, or anything like that, you know, yeah. it's unusual kind yeah, of well, preparation. Yeah, I've seen guys going around kind of sh- shouldering off the wall to get themselves going, or hitting off a rugby bag, and that seems very strange to me, because I'm the complete opposite. Mm. I'm just, chipping the ball around the place, trying to get my eye in and touch and things like that. But some guys need physical contact from everywhere before they go up the field to, to get going. Um, and other fellas don't talk to anybody. So they, they're tagging out, they have their heads in the corner, they're looking at their bag or looking at the floor and that's how they get get into their zone. Um, and I'm presuming, Colm, that after a while you you get used to the various habits of yeah, the players yeah, around you. Was there, you know, was there a player that you felt, you know, good sitting beside? Yeah, you? and that was it. I, like always, when we went to Cork Park. I used to sit next to Matt O'Shea. We had our own little corner, and you again, you kind of take comfort in knowing he's knowing his schedule and when he like putting on his boots. And he, Mark is very particular, so he wants everything um, laid out in front of him. So he's, he's he knows where his gloves are exact socks is one where everything just laid out um, and that and that was probably the same that you know it's like us talking when we're a team together mm. that you're more comfortable but when you're in these dressing rooms or on the bus going to matches and you're in your own seat and you're in your own zone that's where the comfort comes from and I suppose the things in the dressing room are kind of very private to guys so um, who, who who's to say what's right and what's wrong mm. like for me to be asleep or someone else be banging off rugby bags and hitting shoulders off everything. That's just human nature. We're all that bit, little bit different and a little bit crazy, to be honest. But you have to be, to be going and playing in front of 80,000 people. It wasn't 
dressing room, and I know, as I said, you've been in several, but it wasn't a, a Kerry dressing room, I think, at any stage, that there was a lot of bawling and roaring and shouting. Or, or Was there characters who did that? Uh, yeah, like, there, there was probably a mix, you know. More often than not, it was Cam, but if... if, if, if if you needed to get a shot in between the eyes, that that can be given too, whether it's from a ma- management or from from, from a player. Um, yeah, but like I suppose, like you look at any of the O'Shea's who played Seamus Moynihan when I was playing, um, Declan O'Sullivan, mm. like these are real leaders for carrying leaders that only come along every every so often. Like you can't produce players like that overnight. So um, we we had we had plenty of them. Um, even like the Tommy Griffins of this world, like they, like these fellas have won All Ireland's. They're experienced players, so when they spoke, it might be too often. Hmm. You took it on board and, and and you took it away with you. Whether it was whether it was you individually getting the bollocking or or the team being called out for for not doing whatever what what was required. Um, we had plenty guys, hmm. and maybe that was maybe that was a strength of our dressing room. To be honest, that, yeah. that we had those individuals and. They weren't, they weren't shy about stepping forward if needed be. Um, and was there any habit, particular, whether it be a superstitious one or otherwise, that you absolutely stuck rigidly to, either in the days or the yeah. hours before a big game? Um, no, I think I've kind of just at home Fridays before games, I'd always kind of go for a walk. Hmm. Um, might be back in the golf club or wherever it might be. Um, just to switch off and gather my thoughts because... Uh, it, I just felt it relaxed me that I didn't think overthink about matches or things like that but I knew by having this walk that it would clear whatever vibes are in my mind and that, 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 that I'm in a good place just silly things then on the bus I used to have the same seat in the bus mm-hmm. a bit of music on nothing nothing spectacular but just again it's a comfort thing going into Crow Park that okay I'm in a good space I'm with all my buddies with the work done now I'm ready to perform and I've done everything right and I think I have a little checklist in my own head to make sure that I have everything right so if I can take all those honestly and say I've done everything right then more often than not I would play well and what happens when in the warm up because it's happened to every player yeah. where nothing is going over the bar where yeah. they're skewing off the outside of your left boot you're <laughs> duck hooking them short yeah. and you're kind of asking yourself what's going on here you go closer to the goal Tony <laughs> 14 yards out and start tapping them over. No, like that ha- That happens. But I always I always try to find myself saying, just relax, composure here, relax, relax, relax. You're try, trying too hard. Um, and, try, and more often than that, was when I was trying too hard, I was kicking balls up in the air or I needed to slow down. Right. Slow everything down. The pace I was doing everything at, bit of composure. Like your golf um, swing. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Like... Um, there's a saying in golf, when it's, bre- when it's breezy, swing easy. Mm. Yeah, a very hard thing to do, but yeah. the best people can do it very, very quickly. Us cap, handicap 15 or us find that a little bit, a little bit tricky, but um, that's it. I just used to slow everything down, and that can be difficult in big, in Parky Keeve or Killarney or above in Crow Park when everything's going a million miles an hour. Mm. Um, but I probably learned that over time as well, and that comes with experience, but... Um, you never panicked on a pitch. Yeah. Did you? I don't think you... It's rare. It's rare. If it, if it, if it did happen, it's rare. Um, you went 14 minutes of an All-Ireland final yeah. without touching the ball. That was that was the first one we won. Um, and I remember that day specifically because we had we had specifically targeted me on their full back line, kicking ball in high. Um, and they, But it was working fine because Canada and Johnny Crowley were winning, were winning all of them. So... Uh, 
but it just didn't come my way for for whatever reason. Um, but then I'd say my first touch or second touch, I kicked a pint, so I was I, I was I was cool with it. Whereas I think maybe a couple of years before, I would have been twitchy and edgy that I I wasn't in the game. And what a lot of players do then is when with their first touch, they go for a ridiculous score. Mm. Um, mine was mine was handy straight from the goal, but um, the top forwards, if they don't touch the ball for ten minutes. They can be still as deadly and dangerous when they do. Yeah. Fellas who are probably the next level down, they'll get a ball and because they haven't touched it for ten minutes, they think they need to do something spectacular and more often than not it doesn't come off. That's probably what I learned, especially during the first quarter of my career, that okay, you don't need to touch the t- ball twenty times in a match. But if you touch it eight times and score five or six, that's a pretty good ratio of return. So um that's part, and I learned that from playing with different guys as well who were really experienced and who were winners. So um, that was probably a strength of mine. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 